Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile of the Podcast. This is episode 210 called Alex. This episode is supported by Receptiva DX. Getting pregnant isn't always easy, as so many of you listening know. Many couples struggle with infertility, and unexplained infertility can be particularly frustrating. Receptiva DX is the only test that can identify endometriosis, progesterone resistance, and endometritis in a single sample, all causes for unexplained infertility and the success rates of IVF treatments. Receptiva DX includes BCL6, a marker that identifies uterine inflammation, most often associated with asymptomatic, aka silent, endometriosis. BCL6 is found in more than 50% of women with unexplained infertility and over 65% of women with two or more IVF failures. If positive for the Receptiva DX test, treatment options can improve the chances for a successful live birth five-fold. Learn more at ReceptivaDX.com or download their app, which is also called Receptiva DX. And for $75 off, you can go to their website, order the test, and use code INFERTILEAF23. Again, it's ReceptivaDX.com. Use code INFERTILEAF23. Thanks, Receptiva DX. Okay, guys, before we get started, I just want to remind everybody to check out Fertility Rally, which is a 24-7 community where we have support groups, we have IRL events, we have virtual events, we have tons of content. We've got more than 500 active members right now globally, and we are all in this together. So if you're feeling alone and you're going through assisted reproductive technology or you're going through infertility or you're having a tough time, please lean on us, come to us. We're on Instagram at Fertility Rally and we are online at fertilityrally.com. We are open the first week of every month for new members. So reach out and join us. We'd love to have you and support you. All right. So my guest today is Alex Cornsweet, and she is an infertility advocate, a mental health advocate, a miscarriage survivor, a surrogacy warrior, and a mom of three boys. And today we are going to talk about all of her family building deets. You guys might follow her on Instagram at Our Beautiful Surprise, where she has chronicled basically everything from, you know, when they first started having infertility issues to when she was diagnosed with Asherman syndrome and so much in between. She also had a surrogacy journey and then a surprise pregnancy, which is crazy and amazing. And the whole story is beautiful. Our beautiful surprise, hence the name. So she's also a great friend of mine and a total sweetheart and a huge supporter of everybody in this community. So thanks to Alex for doing this. Without further ado, this is Alex's infertility story. Alex, thank you so much oh, for doing hey, this. Yeah, thank you for having me. I remember back in the day when we Blair and I met you for a fertility rally event. I mean, this was like probably three years ago, maybe now. And, you know, we were all kind of newish to this world. So it's been really great following you on social media and seeing what's been happening with your family. So we're going to get into all of it, but let's just start at the very beginning. Did you always want to have kids? Yes. So I, this is like the most stereotypical thing in the world, but I, as a, even as a child, I just always imagined having a family. I think that's 
pretty common for a lot of people, but I was someone that never questioned that I wanted kids. And my mom's a stay-at-home mom. And I think I just had this kind of idealized version of growing up and eventually being able to stay at home with my kids. I think the part of it that nobody thinks about is that kids are not guaranteed and that it might not be so easy. Right. was something I was definitely not expecting. Totally. Which we all know and everybody listening probably knows that as well. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you're you're going through some sort of struggle or friend of or loved one of. So let's fast forward a whole bunch. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell me about meeting your husband. So my husband, it's not actually that much. We met in high school. Same girl. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I forgot that. Yeah. We've talked about that before. Yeah, we have. So I was 16 and he was 17. Um, So we were going into our junior and senior years of high school. We had actually met before that just with different family friends, but we started actually dating then. And we were the type of couple that just never broke up. He went to college. I, we were, did some long distance. Then I went to college and we just made it work over the time. Um, and it just, so we were together for a really long time. And I think for us, like we just always expected that we would have children. Like, I think that it wasn't too long into our relationship that we one thought that we would be together forever and just that we would get married one day. I mean, that sounds kind of silly when you're that young, but I think we just kind of knew that we were, that we were it. Right. Um, Yeah. And after college, we had moved in together, but we were also the kind of like, okay, let's take our time, eventually get married, you know, like not rush into having kids, enjoy time alone. But again, we just expected naively that whenever we wanted kids, that it would be easy. Such a good um, point. And I feel the same exact way. So when, how old were you guys when you got married? So we were 23 and 24. Oh uh, no. Yeah. When we got married. Um, and so we'd been together about seven years. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of, a lot of people, obviously that's young to get married, but we had been together for a long time. So mm-hmm. for us, it didn't feel like it. And then we spent um, another few years just being married. Um, and then when we had been together for about 10 years, actually, exactly we had a conversation about starting a family and we were like, okay, I think we're ready to start. And I was ready to just like fully jump into it. And I wanted to be pregnant like right away. (laughs) My husband was like, oh, if it takes some time, it's okay. Um, But I think kind of like a lot of people probably listening in in this world that I was kind of blindsided pretty quickly. Like I immediately started having issues. It's insane to me how little we know about our own bodies. Like so I my, yeah. didn't even know like the basics, which is ridiculous. Like I was 26 years old at the time. And I didn't even understand that like being on birth control meant that I was getting my period, not because I got it naturally, but because it was induced chemically, like that basic that right. I didn't understand. And so when I went off birth control and didn't get a period, I was like, Oh, I've always gotten a period every month. And the doctor's like, no, <laughs> like you weren't getting it every month. The pill is giving it to you every month. So yeah, there are some basic things. I agree with you. And that's yeah. such a common theme talking to women on the show Yeah, is just not knowing much about your body and your fertility and how things right. change as you age. I mean, I, please, I hope that, you know, it's changing now. I think that it is. And the, you know, generations coming behind us are getting a little bit more informed, but literally for us, it was just like, 
you know, like the, the bare minimum, I feel like we learned. Right. And I mean, I feel like I didn't know really much about my anatomy. I had been probably taught at one time in like seventh grade and then it didn't really stick then. So even then, like fast forward like six months, I ended up going to the fertility doctor because even though I was young, I just knew something was wrong because my body just wasn't functioning right. And I'm not someone who just like sits around and waits right. uh, for answers. So I was more proactive. I insisted on going into the fertility doctor. They were really supportive. But like, I ended up getting the HSG test where it's like they test your tubes. Mm -hmm. And one of mine was completely blocked. And the other one he was concerned about. And again, I was like, I hadn't even considered that the tube has to be open to get pregnant. Completely. (laughs) I just didn't even think about that. I didn't know that was an option. And so then like the same, like within a couple of weeks, he was like, okay, IVF is pretty much your only option. Well, he told me like I could try IUI, but that my, because one of my sides was completely blocked, if the egg was coming from that side, they would just have to cancel it because it wouldn't make it mm. um, like because it traveled like if it was coming down my left fallopian tube, it wouldn't come down. It would uh-huh. be stuck. Okay. And so basically he was like, you have very low chance of an IUI working. You pretty much can't get pregnant on your own or it's like, I don't feel comfortable with you trying. So you just That's, need to do IVF. It's so heavy. So what did you think when you got that diagnosis? And thank so, God you went in, Alex. Like, what I if you mean, hadn't been proactive about it? How did you? Well, first of I all, I think about that literally every day because I wouldn't have either of my first two sons if we hadn't gone in when we did. Because right. I did that round of IVF and I got both of their embryos at that point. And it was a long time before we had the second one. But like, I wouldn't have either one of them if if the timing hadn't been exactly the way it was. We were living in Boston at the time. We had really good insurance that 100% covered IVF. So this is another like important note because we would not have been able to jump right into it if Mm -hmm. we had not had that coverage. Like we didn't even know how lucky we were. But I'm also the kind of person that like, if I get an answer and there's some sort of type of solution or help that I can start right away, then I want to do it right away. And so we just kind of decided right there, like, okay, let's give it a shot. Like we checked our coverage. We knew it was covered. I think for a lot of people, obviously the financial aspect of it is like, why you can't start right away. Right. And so, yeah. So I think for us, like we jumped into it within six months of trying, which is pretty uncommon. Um, But it was just like the circumstances kind of lined up. So we did our first round of IVF. We got very lucky. Like for me, the eggs and embryos has, has not been my issue. Um, And I know I'm very lucky for for that, because I know that's an issue for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we were able to get the embryos and we were able to, actually, we did a fresh transfer with him. Mm -hmm. And so when we did the fresh transfer, it actually worked. And again, like, I had no idea how lucky I was at the time. Like, I didn't realize that, like, it doesn't always work the first time or, you know, and I had no complications with my pregnancy and we had him like, you know, eight or nine months later, like I just, I had no idea, like at the time, right. This was another like naive thing because I had been blindsided, but then I got the, I started IVF so quickly and then it worked right away. So then I thought, okay, then I already have my answer. Like I can now have as many kids as I want. And I know that sounds so no, I know. People, I, but like, that's really how I felt at the time. No, I totally know what you mean because I was lucky enough too that I only had one healthy embryo with my one round of 
IVF and it did work. And now I have my son who's seven. But again, I didn't know at the time that it wasn't, IVF wasn't a guarantee. I thought, oh, right. If we've got all these amazing doctors working on my case and all the science is on my side and I do all the things and I follow all the rules and it's going to work. I really did think that. And nobody had told me otherwise, you know, and I think it's so important. And I know you do this on your social media and same with us, you know, through mine and through Fertility Rally, but it's like, it's not a guarantee. IVF is not a guarantee, you know, and And that's, it's such a shock when you find that out after, (laughs) like I learned that IVF wasn't a guarantee when we were trying to have our second because Mm -hmm. we had embryos. And so I thought I had embryos. That's the hard part. Then I can Mm -hmm. just get pregnant and just have another baby. I don't know. It's just like, I, that's what I thought. So tell me about that first round again. Um, so how many embryos did you guys get? So we were very fortunate again. Um, so they retrieved, I think, um, like 19 eggs, uh, 17 fertilized, all of them became embryos or 16 became embryos. And then I think on day five, we had, um, no, I think we had 16 and which was, again, I had no idea like that, that's, really, really good numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, So we did not test our embryos at that point because that would have been an additional cost. But also we just didn't, we weren't even given that option. I didn't even know that really existed at that point, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they just did it based on grading. So they showed us like a list. They said, this is your top graded embryo. This is the one we're going to use. And I said, okay. right. So that was our son. I think that fresh transfers might not be as common um, anymore. I feel like a lot of people I know do frozen. But the fresh one was, again, I didn't know the options and that's what worked for us. Um, I got lucky because I didn't have my body go into any sort of like, like it didn't react so poorly that I couldn't do the transfer. Um, And so we got to the point. Yeah. So then on day five, um, I went back in and I just remember it being really magical, but also really weird because there were so many people in the room and we're like, wow. There's a lot of people in here while I'm getting pregnant. Totally. <laughs> it's like, there's like four nurses and here comes the embryologist and we're just sitting there. Um, but then I remember that like then, you know, the beta was, I think, 11 days later. And I remember that I went to my sister's college graduation the day, two days before I got the beta. And I was just we were walking a lot around her campus and I was so nervous about all of the walking that we were doing because I was like, stay in there. Um, yeah. Like my doctor had not made me nervous about any of that. Um, and then it was actually the day after Mother's Day that I had my beta. And I was like, honestly, it didn't really, I really thought it was just going to be positive. Like at that point, I was so naive to the whole process. I just thought, okay, this is going to work. And I Completely. remember my husband and I like, he had the he was in business school at the time and it was kind of winding down so that we had that kind of day off and so we actually we were in boston so we decided to drive up to maine for the day just to kind of distract us while we were waiting for the beta results um but then at like 11:30 in the morning which is also really early usually for results they called us and it was all happy news and it's just like our first experience with ivf went so perfectly that this is what I thought it was. Right. Like I thought that's how it went. I thought that's what happens to people. And Same. to the point where like I didn't really I didn't really think I was part of the infertility community at that point because I thought 
it worked really well. I already got my answer. We're already having a baby. Like we didn't really have struggles. Like we got the answers so quickly. I don't know. I just felt like I was kind of a fraud to be a part of the infertility community at that point because everything had gone so well. So I didn't really connect at that point because I thought, okay, it's just gone well for us. Like we're not the type of people that like, you know, not, not the type of people that but like, it just had gone so well. Right. And I just thought that's what was going to happen. And then when we started trying for our second, we totally recognized that it might take longer the second time. We knew it might not happen the first round. Like we, we weren't naive enough to think it could just happen every time, but I really thought it could. <laughs> like if I'm being honest. Yeah. And we had since moved uh, to California and we, my oldest son at this point was only like nine months old when we started meeting with a new doctor because we were like, okay, if this takes a little time, then we're going to give ourselves a buffer. We don't want to wait till he's like three and then have him be like, have it be a long, lot longer. Right. Um, and we were just kind of ready. And like, you know, that I want my children to be two years apart thing is like in everyone's mind for some reason. Um, so we started going to the doctor again when he was about nine months old. Mm -hmm. And the whole process to start took much longer than I had remembered. Like it was probably nine months before we even got to the point where I was on medication again. Like they were just kind of doing different tests and like the in-office hysteroscopy to make mm -hmm. sure I didn't have any scar tissue. Quick question. What about all the embryos that you had at your first clinic? Oh, yes. Sorry. Um, so were you going so, to do another round, another retrieval, or were you getting ready for another transfer? Is that what you mean? Yes. So the reason, that's a good point. So the reason why it actually took a while to get to a transfer is because we had decided to do a frozen transfer because we had 14 or 15 embryos left over at this point. Right. And okay. so we had to ship them from Boston to California. Mm -hmm. How and did that go? And how did you guys ship them? Did you use like a courier mm -hmm. or something or like, yeah, we used one of okay. the cryogenically frozen companies. Yeah. Um, Nerve wracking, like, right? Oh my gosh. I was like precious was like, cargo <laughs> times a million. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't want to have to do another retrieval and those are all my future babies. So please. Totally. Um, but it's also crazy expensive to do it because you have someone that's a courier with it the whole time because it has to like be sitting up straight and it can't tilt on its side mm -hmm. and there's all these rules so it's like basically we paid someone to get them from our old clinic and fly them to california and then drop them off at our new clinic right um and so then when they got there it's like uber point, embryos right yeah. <laughs> and so at that point we just kind of like then once they were safely there i think it was like three months after we met with that doctor that we finally like bit the bullet and did it because we were really nervous to ship them. Because at one point I was like, maybe I should just go back to Boston and do it there. there. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. And we're yeah. like, no, that doesn't really work. Like with how just insurance. And then I was like, what am I going to be there for like weeks after the transfer? Right, like, exactly. You know, and we have another son. So yeah. But you know, like I wanted to do anything not to risk the yeah. embryos that we had too. But anyway, it went well. They got there safely. They got put into frozen storage. But then we had to set up like all of that. And it's just kind of, there's a lot of like backend stuff at that point of making sure that we're paying for storage and making sure that they're storing them properly and making sure that we know the schedule. So then the new doctor that I was going to was this, I think people have this experience, but he was very much on his, his schedule. So the reason it took me a while to get in for a frozen embryo transfer 
was that he only did it like once a month. And so I had to just be put on the schedule in the future. And my experience from Boston was that they just fully worked with your body's schedule. So that was new to me. And I think a lot of people experience that where they have to have a lot of wait times Mm -hmm. um, because of clinics that they're at. Mm -hmm. So he was on his schedule. The thing is, he came really highly recommended. He had really good rates of success, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of how we picked him. He was kind of quirky and awkward in the meeting, but we're like, that doesn't really matter. That's not what it's about. Like, as long as he can do this, you know, Mm -hmm. as long as he's a good doctor. So when it was like the spring of 2018 that we started trying again for our second officially, Okay. Um, like when we started, so my other son had, was like a little over one, he was like 15 months old. And so mm-hmm. we had started trying again, but again, I was so naive. I just genuinely thought it would work. Right. Like it was, I remember this so distinctly because it was May of 2018. Uh-huh. We went, we had just started, we were like a week into medications. The way that his protocol worked is you went on medication for like a month before every doctor's different, but I was on like Luprin um, to keep me from ovulating, even though I didn't ovulate. So that was a red flag, but th- it was a long process, the frozen embryo transfer at this office. So I was in the middle of it. We went on a group trip with some friends that we hadn't seen in a while. And one of them announced that they were pregnant. And then we told all of them that we were doing IVF again and that, oh my gosh, our babies are going to be so close in age. Mm -hmm. You know, like I just, that is literally what happened. Like we, one of my friends was due, I think in January of the Mm -hmm. following year. And I was like, oh, I'll probably be due in like February based on this schedule, right? Like totally, we all count out the dates. We all know what to expect. So I was so, and they were like, so are you already pregnant? And I was like, no, no, but I'm no, but I'm going to do the thing that works every time. Right. Like it already works. So in your defense, Alex, how do you know? Like it did work for you. So how do you don't know what you don't know? Right. Yeah. So I, and I honestly wish I never found out, but (laughs) right. Um, I know. But then, but then, so I was on medication for five weeks and for after four weeks, they did a lining check. And my lining was at like five. And to be honest, I didn't even know what lining was because the first time it was thick enough and no one said anything to me about it. It just wasn't a thing. So Mm -hmm. you don't know what it is until there's something wrong with it. Right. So for people listening, this is the uterine lining. Sorry. Yes. Yes. No, that's okay. So it was the uterine lining where they implant the embryo. So it has to be a certain thickness before they can implant it. Otherwise, there it pretty much won't work or there's a very low chance. Um, It can work for people with... Uh, lower lining, but they usually don't feel comfortable using an embryo with lower lining. So mine was really low, like five, which is five millimeters, which for some people, that's what it is after you've had a period, like when it's the thinnest it can be. Mm -hmm. So basically mine just wasn't growing at all. Mm -hmm. And so they pushed me on more hormones, like more estrogen, more progesterone, and it just didn't budge. So then they said, you know what, at this point, we have to cancel the, the transfer because it's just not, we don't feel comfortable with this. Oh, how did that feel? What a kick in the gut. I, again, it's like so vivid and like I can feel it. Like I was so upset. I like had not cried that hard probably ever because, and I think this is something that's very misunderstood that people understand that losses hurt 
when they are failed transfers or especially miscarriages. But a canceled cycle hurts so badly because I counted out the due date. I had it in my mind. I knew when we were transferring, I imagined a life with this baby that we didn't even get to transfer. And then I had to start all over and I had to start another cycle. And those five weeks of medication were for nothing. And it was just, and I was hormonal and I was so angry and so upset because I also just didn't even know it was a possibility. Like no one had told me that I might not actually get to do a transfer. I'm so glad that you, I'm so glad you pointed that out, Alex, because it's so true. And it's like, you know, you've talked about this, you know, a lot on your social media as well, but like loss is so many things. It's the loss Mm -hmm. of how you thought something was going to go. It's the loss of how you thought your life was going to play out. You know, those are all really valid losses that so many of us are experiencing. So just to validate that for people who are listening, you don't have to have loss of a a baby or you don't have to be pregnant and have a loss to actually have a loss. Like you said, a canceled cycle is a major loss and it's also traumatic. I mean, to me, I was so much more upset than I expected because one, I didn't know that it was possible to have it canceled. But like you're saying, I expected to be due around the same time as a friend. Like I had these in mind of like, oh, our kids will be the same age. And then I thought, oh, our kids will be just about two years apart now. And all of these things in my mind were coming together in my mind as being exactly what we wanted. And then that was just taken away from us in an instant. And I was begging them to keep trying. I was begging them. Yeah. Like, can we just go another week? And they're like, Alex, this is not going to happen. Like we can't, it's not going to change anything to do it for another week. And so then they wanted my body to kind of reset and to start over. Yeah. So... I mean, you know, like at that point, you're just like, please don't make me start again. Like, please don't make me start again. Totally. And it's so hard to explain to people who aren't in this world. So thank you again for articulating that. You know, hopefully people listening, maybe somebody didn't have that experience, but now they know, oh, wow, like I can be more empathetic to somebody that has gone through that because it is such a legit devastation. And I think for some people it does, they do always get to transfer. And I think that's something that I always had to explain to people, like they think even people who, especially people who don't do IVF and don't really understand it, they think like, oh, it's just, and I thought this before, that you get to transfer every month. Like you have just as many chances to be pregnant. Like, no, I had about one chance a year to be pregnant. And that was in a good year, <laughs> that totally. having a chance. And right. so it literally took me that long just to get to transfers. And so it's like, for people who don't understand that, like, can you imagine every year you have one shot at getting pregnant and then it doesn't work. Like I just, it's devastating. And Mm -hmm. so then about a month after that, we started another round. At that point, I actually said, can we please do a different protocol? This doesn't seem to be working. And this was a red flag. They were like, no, he's perfect. His protocol is perfect. He knows exactly what he's doing. He never changes it for anyone. And I didn't, I didn't know um, what to do with that because I'd never experienced that before. And I wasn't yet in the, uh, ready to advocate for myself mindset. So I just was like, okay, I guess he knows what he's doing. Right. But now, you know, like you said, red flag, red flag. Yeah. Red flag, red flag, find a new doctor or like insist on them doing something differently. So they did the exact same protocol. I was on medication again for five or six weeks and what a shock. My lining didn't thicken and it got canceled again. And I was like, I told you this was going to happen. This is exactly 
Like, why would my body react differently the second time that you did the same protocol? Like that just, that just doesn't seem smart. And you just put me through all of this again. And I was so mad at myself for just like going with it. But again, you just think, okay, maybe it will work this time. Maybe they're right. They're the doctor. I should trust them. Yep. So, and the doctors and the nurses and everybody there is telling me that it will work and they're wrong again. So it got canceled. So then at that point I said, we need to do something different. Like this is not clearly working. So then they said, well, your first transfer was a fresh transfer and it worked. So we can do, why don't we try to do kind of a modified fresh transfer where basically they do another retrieval. And again, this is all things that I just like, I was so desperate to have it work that I didn't really consider that maybe that was completely crazy. And so, and that maybe there were other ways to do frozen embryo transfers, but their only answer was let's do a fresh transfer. So that then, baffles me that that was the only answer that they gave you, you know? I know. And again, the, the like, problem, how are you supposed to know? You're just trying all the right. things, but you and have so all these embryos is, on ice. So it's like, really? Another retrieval? Oh, so I'll get to this, but I had changed doctors eventually. And he was like, why would anyone tell you to do another retrieval? So I learned in 2018 that not all doctors are good. And sometimes you got to move on. Um, Unfortunately, it took me a whole year and a half with him to figure that out and a Mm -hmm. lot. So basically, though, we were still with that same doctor. We ended up doing a like a fresh cycle. We did like a retrieval cycle. But my first retrieval, I was on medication for 10 days. And then I did the trigger shot, which is how they like right before you're going to do the retrieval on day 11. And that was pretty average. It's like seven to 14 days, I think is the range. Mm -hmm. With this one, he had me on medication for 21 days. Oh my God. Cycle. I felt like my body was going to explode and I felt horrible. And it was like way overstimulating me. Right. So, And he kept upping and upping and upping the dosage because once again, my lining wasn't really responding to this. Oh my God. It's like a science experiment. Oh my gosh. Well, and not only that, but between... The second canceled cycle and this cycle, it took my body three months to even out on my hormones. And they took my blood every single week. And it felt like torture. I was like, can I just wait like a month to come back in and not have this be the focus of my life? But like every week they had me come in for three months, like giving me false hope that maybe my, my thing would magically go down. Like my estrogen levels would magically go down in a week. And it didn't. And so that's where like those three months also felt like torture, just waiting to begin this cycle. There's so much waiting, as you know, mm-hmm. in this. And it just felt like torture waiting because I just right. wanted to start. Um, and I felt yeah. like I'd been waiting for that whole year because things kept getting canceled. Oh, yeah. Um, and so then we finally made it to the transfer after three weeks. And at this point, my lining was about six and a half, like seven would be a generous uh, term. It was probably six and a half. and the doctor was basically like, eh, let's just give it a try. Oh my God. And I was like, that's not, doesn't give me a lot of confidence. Yeah. Not really the attitude I'm hoping um, for here. But also I was in this mindset where I was so desperate to just do the transfer. I was like, I can't have another canceled cycle. And in reality, I definitely should not have done that transfer. But I was like, I just, he's saying it's okay. Kind of. And I just, I don't want to quit. Like, I don't want to be done. I don't want to have to start over again. Like, I don't know what else to do. What else would we do? Exactly. So, you're you're tired this, of waiting. You just need something to happen. Yeah. 
So at this point, I think we got about nine eggs. They had just overstimulated me. So the fact that they got any shocked me, but they got nine eggs. Um, and then they, we decided to thaw all of our embryos and have them tested, which I think I might not have done that in hindsight. I'm glad we did, but like it's terrifying because that was everything we had. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to thaw them, test all of them together. And then this is something where it's again, very uncommon. They tested them in like one day. Mm-hmm. Um, or t- normally people take like a week or so to get results on that. But I think they did it like directly in their lab or something, or like they sent it out to like a lab nearby and then had it sent back. Um, but whatever it was, I didn't realize how quickly we got You got the results, the results in a day? Yes. Oh yeah. I've never heard of such a thing. That's why I'm like, no, I'm like, was it even real? <laughs> like it just, they, cause I still did a fresh transfer. So they tested them on day five. And the next day when I came in for a transfer, it was just all kind of rushed feeling. Yes. Um, I love that you're like, was it even real? It's a legit concern. No, I mean, I just, so much of this is out of your hands. It's like, are they really doing what they say they're doing? Right. And also there, there was just so much wrong with this clinic. Like I also, they didn't give us the, like, again, we didn't know what was normal. They didn't keep any embryos that weren't 100% healthy. Like most people, they still Mm -hmm. keep them and then you talk about it. Mm-hmm. But they, so we were lucky. We tested 23 embryos mm-hmm. um, and 15 were healthy, which is really, I know, good. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just discarded the rest of them. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people keep the other ones, like the ones that are like maybe not 100% unhealthy. Right. Like um, aneuploid or, yeah, yeah. or euploid or whatever. And so, oh no, euploid is euploid is good. Yeah. 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 But yeah, so but some might be mosaic or some might be, right. you know, there's, so a, there's a bunch of different terms. I hadn't heard of any of those terms at that point, but we were really lucky because we did have 15 that were like 100% PGS tested. Mm-hmm. But then this is where it got, it's just like bad after bad that year. Um, and it's like in the moment, I didn't realize how much I needed to run from this clinic, but I hope that if anybody has any of these experiences, they just take a step back and realize that even though I didn't want to change because I just wanted to be pregnant, I didn't mm-hmm. want to deal with starting over. I was desperate to be pregnant. And I just thought if I start over, it's going to take even longer. But sometimes starting over actually is better and causes you less pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's okay if it takes a little longer, even though it feels horrible in the moment to wait because sometimes yeah because this one like we got to the transfer so he's we were sitting in a room waiting first of all this doctor was literally two hours late to everything every time even the retrieval um which is not okay because not okay retrievals are timed um and i was lucky because my body was okay but i I was like thinking about all the other women in there i was like maybe you didn't get any eggs because he's late (laughs) Mm. and i just it's a huge like lawsuit waiting to happen with that place. But, um, oh my God, but like, so we finally, he finally came into the room. We we're finally going to do the transfer and he hands us pieces of paper with all of our embryo photos on them. And there's like little drawings next to each one. And we're like, okay. And so then at this point, this is when he's explaining to us that there's 15 healthy embryos left. And he was like, okay, so you have a son, right? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, okay, so these are the girls. 
<laughs> what? And we're like, okay. And he's like, so these are the girls and these are the boys. So do you want to transfer a girl or a boy? And we're like, we've never been asked before which one we're going to transfer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Usually the embryologist decides that. So then we had discussed like if they were equally healthy we would do a girl because we had a boy. And I know that sounds really horrible to some people, but that's just how we had talked about it. Mm -hmm. So then we were sitting there and he's pointing like, this is the healthiest girl. This is the healthiest boy. And I said, okay, but are they equally likely to become a baby? Like, is it equal? And he was like, well, I mean, the boy's probably like 99% sure. And the girl's like 98, which by the way, those odds are never true for IVF. Right. Like, it's like 20% or 30%. How not can you say that? Yeah. So then I was like, okay. And so then he basically told us like, there's basically no difference. They're rated the same. They're both PGS tested. You know, if like you, it's your choice. They're basically the same. So then we chose the girl because we we're like, if they're the same, like, I guess we'll go with the girl. Uh-huh. And understandable. Like, Later, we found out that they were not rated the same. Like one was like 5AA, one was like 5AB or Mm 4, you know, it's, but still they weren't exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Um, And just to put someone in the position who's already so vulnerable and make them choose their embryo literally right before you're going to transfer it is so confusing. I've never heard of such a thing either. Like in that spur of the moment. Yeah. Right. Because then it's on me. Like Mm -hmm. if this doesn't work, it's my fault. Yeah. Right. Because I don't want it to be my fault. I want it to be his fault. Right. And I at least don't want it to like, I don't want to feel like I have, I was doing everything in my power to make this work. So like, right. To then be responsible for choosing your embryo is just not cool. Mm -hmm. Not okay. Mm -hmm. So we chose, we did the transfer. We got a beta and we got the call for the beta we were pregnant, but the way we were told was really weird. It was like, I don't know. She didn't sound that excited. I didn't love the nurse at all. Um, oh. And then we're like, is it good news? <laughs> yeah. What did they say? Then, well, she was like, oh, um, so we got the results back and like, she just kind of was taking a lot of pauses. And I was like, am I pregnant or am I not pregnant? And she was like, oh, you're pregnant. And I was like, you probably should have led with that. Wow. Um, yeah. So anticlimactic. Like, it, made, it made this news. Like, okay, I, I think I'm going to be excited now. So this is where like, we were obviously like so excited. Um, and then probably, so then it, that was my first beta. I went in for my second beta two days later. It was rising. Everything looked good. But then that day I started to have spotting And I was like, this doesn't seem normal. This isn't okay. I'm scared. Um, I feel like something's wrong. And I called the doctor's office and they said, I'm sorry, but we just don't have time to fit you in today. And I'm sure it's fine. And I was like, but I'm bleeding. Like, Mm -hmm. this doesn't seem right. Um, Like I'm spotting, but it seems like something's wrong. And I would like to have an ultrasound or like another beta at this point. Um, And they were like, well if you're having a miscarriage, there's nothing we can do about it anyway. Uh, and I was like, um, how dare you use that word with me when I'm seriously, like, that's so oh, harsh like, though. Where's the okay. bedside manner? So then they literally wouldn't take me. Um, and then this is kind of 
triggering, but like that night, um, at like middle of the night, I had horrible cramps and I felt like a rush of something happening. And I refused to even turn on the lights in the bathroom because I was pretty sure I knew it was happening. Like I literally just sat in there and I just refused to turn the lights on. And this sounds really like not cold, but like, I just couldn't handle dealing with it in the moment. And I was really upset, but I like flushed the toilet. I didn't even look. I just like knew. I literally kept all the lights off, but I was like, I know what just happened. Right. Oh, I'm so sorry, Alex. Um, thank you. It was, it was just horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and so the next day I was like, can I please have another beta? I think like, I think I'm not pregnant anymore. <laughs> and so then I went in for a beta and I remember so distinctly, like I was sitting, my son at that, my older son at that point, I don't remember I honestly don't even remember where he was. I feel like he was with my mother-in-law that day because I just like needed to be alone because I was like worried about what it was. And I remember sitting in a parking lot of like a random, you know, place. And I got a call from the doctor's office and she said, you're right. The beta is dropping. Um, It's pretty low now. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll do one more beta, but I think you you lost the baby. And Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah. And I just like couldn't handle it. And yeah. the next sentence she said was, but that's okay. You can just come back in and we'll just do another frozen transfer. We'll just like figure out like, it's okay. We'll just, we'll just start again. <sighs> and I was like, I don't think I'm ready to have that conversation right now. Like right. maybe I should grieve. Um, totally. But at this point, like all I had had were betas. And so, because I didn't even get to the point, like it was like technically a chemical pregnancy where it's really early on. And so I hadn't seen an uh, ultrasound, like I hadn't gotten to that point. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something also where I didn't understand, like, it doesn't matter how early it happens. I already had names in my head. I knew what gender it was, which did not help me at all, actually. Um, I actually kind of wish that I didn't know, like I, on one hand, I'm glad I knew, but then I really pictured someone. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and then I like knew the due date because of course that's what we do. We counted out. Um, I knew everything. Like I just really thought it was going to work. And I also thought this is a PGS tested, highly rated embryo. How can this not work? Like I, I just, how can this be happening after the year that we've had after all the cancellations? Like how can this be how this is ending? Mm-hmm. And at that point I wanted to go in the doctor and get checked. They refused to have me back in until I was going to start a new cycle. So then I was like, I don't, I can't be at this doctor. Gotta go, gotta get out of there. Yes. Um, So then we spent um, the next, I mean, for that miscarriage, I only had the bleeding the one day really, because it was so early. I mean, that's not the case for everyone, like depending, but like the physical part of it wasn't like past a couple of days, but obviously like the emotional part of it. I mean, I have never been so low in my entire life. I felt like I was just I kind of like walking through water all the time. You know? I like feel everything. you. Yes. Yeah. Like you're in like a I actually cloud. felt like I was underwater. Like it's just like no one can really hear you. You can't really hear what anyone's saying. It's all like muffled. You feel yep. like you're sitting right next to a group of people, but you're not really there. And no one really seems to notice how you're feeling. Like they think you're fully there, but you're not. Um, totally. I don't know. It's, it's just, such a good it's way like to a describe a really weird feeling. Yeah, I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> and we went to Thanksgiving that year, like a month after it happened, um, with family in another state. And it was a horrible mistake because I was like totally numb and I didn't want to be there. And like they're wonderful and they're our family, but I was like, I should not have come here. <laughs> it's <laughs> because hard. 
It's really it was hard. like you you're putting on like I didn't want to talk about it, but everyone knew what had happened. And I was like, I just like I just didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be talking about it. I didn't want to, I just needed to be like with my husband and our son and just be processing. And I think this is a big thing for me that I didn't realize till later. I really didn't process it. I just kind of sat in the numb part. And then I just kind of thought, okay, now I just need to move forward. Like I didn't move through the steps. I just kind of thought, no, I just don't want to feel it. I'm just going to go into the next cycle because I still desperately want a child, a second child. So Mm -hmm. I just like didn't even let myself fully process what had happened. I just thought I have to keep moving forward. I have to keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. So then that the next month in December, we found a new doctor. um, And I literally cried on the phone because I was so happy with how nice they were. Like, the woman's like, we get a lot of people from that clinic that you're leaving. <gasps> really? Like, okay. You have to um, tell me after this this interview yes, who, I know. who it was. Unfortunately, Spill the tea. A, yeah, unfortunately, he's quite aggressive. I know actually people that he's gone after. Um, yeah, we're not saying have, it on recording. Right, Don't worry. Right? <laughs> no, I just, I'm afraid of him. So I'm like, no, thank you. Um, and that's horrible, but it's true. Yeah. Um, I also found out later that that clinic is very... Um, they call it family balancing. Um, I had never heard of this where people who don't have fertility issues go to them if they have all boys or all girls because they want to have the other gender. Interesting. And I think people who have to go through IVF hate that, but um, everyone gets to make their decision about how they have kids. But sure. It was like, but I don't, I, I don't understand that. Like if you can have kids on your own, why would you do that? Um, but then also the problem with a clinic that does that is that then their rates of success are skewed because a lot of the people going to them don't have fertility issues. Oh. Yeah. So when they're so like, that, we had X amount of live births, you're mm-hmm. like, yeah. Like, but, oh, we had 70%. Yeah, but yeah. how many of those people actually have fertility issues? Doesn't so seem like interesting. Many. Also, so it was really triggering because I would be in the waiting room and there was like families with like five boys. And I was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It's just yeah. like... Like my next fertility clinic didn't really allow kids because of the triggers. Um, And so that's why, yeah. Um, But so we went to this new doctor. He immediately was like, first thing we're going to do is the in-office like hysteroscopy where like they check inside the uterus. So they scheduled that for January. And then he's like, after we do that, we'll do the, we'll like set up the frozen embryo transfer. He's like, but first things first, got to see how you're doing in there. So he went to check. During I'm in the office, so they don't put you under. It's like just a scope that goes in to check it out. He couldn't even get the scope into my uterus. And he's like, You have so much scarring. Like, I don't, I've never seen this much scarring from an early loss. Like, I don't know where this scarring came from, but mm. it's so bad. I can't even get into your uterus. Wow. So then he diagnosed me with something called Asherman's, which is like the scarring in the uterus. Yep. And we were just said, talk- okay. I was just talking to somebody else about that. It's, I feel like <laughs> yeah, it's so much more common now. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I've heard of a lot of people with it, um, especially just within the, I feel like a lot of the things that are technically like rare conditions are not rare if you're already in the infertility community. Right. Like, it's rare in the general population maybe, but like not within the infertility community because we're already dealing with all of these issues with our bodies. And so he said, okay, before we can even talk about a frozen embryo transfer, we have to do the surgery to like try to get this out. So the surgery for Asherman's is like very similar to a DNC where like they have to basically clear out um, all of the scarring in your uterus. And then they put a balloon in the uterus so that it doesn't stick back together while it's healing. 
Mm-hmm. I spent my, my sec I spent my son's second birthday party with a balloon in my uterus. In your uterus, okay. Because it was like not the kind of party balloon you were hoping for, Alex. <laughs> yeah. but I was like, you gotta do what you gotta okay, do. This is my life now, like this is it, right? Um, and I remember people being like, having obviously no idea, most people like what was going on with us, and I was like. I'm really uncomfortable, but no one could possibly know what's going on. Um, and just frustrated because again, things were on hold. Like another thing happened that wasn't easy. It wasn't just straightforward. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, what the heck happened with my first cycle? Like, why is this going so poorly when that went so well? Um, right. It was like my body changed after I had my first son or something. I don't know. Totally. But then, so then... After that, luckily, like he felt very confident that he got it. But he said, you know, once you have Asherman's, there's just no guarantee that you're going to carry another baby. Like, but we feel like we cleared it out. And so we feel like we're, we can do a transfer. Okay. So we moved into the frozen embryo transfer. His cycle was very different from, I, he did it based on like when people ovulate naturally. And so he did like two weeks of medications and then the transfer. Mm-hmm. For me, I had to be on medication for six weeks because I didn't ovulate, but also, again, my lining wasn't thickening, which was just very, very frustrating. Mm-hmm. And so I went through six weeks, um, but I really was so desperate not to have it canceled again. Um, but he actually did much more. Like he changed he like added in different forms of estrogen and progesterone. And then he did this like called like Nupgen or something. It's like okay, an injection yeah. they put into the lining and I hadn't heard of it before, mm-hmm. but it's supposed to kind of stimulate the lining. So he got my lining to like a seven, which was like the best it had been since I had my first son. Mm-hmm. And so then we did the transfer. And at this point we're like, okay, we made it to the transfer. We didn't have another canceled cycle. Everything is finally going our way and it didn't work. And we got the failed, we got a call that it was a failed transfer. And again, we were so devastated. I'm sure. I, I feel like this is also where for me, all of the, like the failed transfers were like almost equally losses to me because I think even though the physical aspects aren't the same as the miscarriage, I really, but like they had put a specific embryo in the right place and it didn't stay there. Absolutely. And, I fully agree with you. I fully agree with yeah. you. For me, I felt like it was just as much of a loss as my miscarriage. Like, and I yes. just had a miscarriage. So I felt like just as much in, in me yeah. emotionally, I felt like just as much. Mm-hmm. So then it was like, okay. So then this is where he sat us down and we had a conversation that we weren't expecting. And he said, look, we have tried, you've been to another doctor. We've been trying everything we can. I have put every single thing into making your lining thicker. We will try one more cycle, but you should seriously think about surrogacy. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what? <laughs> like, we didn't think we were going to have that conversation. Um, and we were like in his office. So we knew it was like a serious conversation, but we're like, okay. So now we have to start looking at surrogacy options. Mm-hmm. And then basically at this point we decided he wanted me to take, I honestly can't even remember what the medication is called, but it's supposed to possibly help lining. It's not guaranteed to, and I had to take it for six months. So he said, while you're waiting six months to be able to do another transfer cycle, I would look at surrogacy agencies and just kind of look into what the options are. 
So being told that I had to wait six months before another transfer at when I didn't even believe that it was going to work, I was like, what's the point in doing this? Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to do this. I don't mm-hmm. want to wait. I just want to do surrogacy and have a baby. But like, that's not how, like, I just didn't, I just wanted a healthy child or like, I just wanted to have another baby. Exactly. So then my husband and I talked a lot about it. We both felt like we really needed to try one more time with my body to like close that chapter. We just like really needed to do that. And so we decided that again, while we waited, for that, because I was I couldn't do anything during that time, that we would look into surrogacy agencies. So I think the doctor was thinking, oh, you'll be on medication for six months. So it's kind of like a break from trying. I was so obsessed with like counting the days till I could start another transfer that it did not feel like a break. Right. Like, I was so I did not want to break. It was like a forced break. So I felt like I didn't even choose it. I think there's a huge difference between deciding to take a break from things and feeling like you have to. Yeah, Um, good point. And so then we looked into surrogacy agencies, like we did all the research, talking to multiple ones, figuring out. So this is like a whole other conversation of finding surrogates. But we, he told us like, the best way to do it is to have like a family or friend do it because just cost wise, um, it's by far the least expensive way option, mm-hmm. but we didn't have that option. One, that's a huge ask. Right. Uh, it's not like you just have people like, in your hey, back pocket being like, like hey. hey, could you get carry my baby? Totally. Um, but like also you have to have had a chat, like you have to have had a successful pregnancy to be a surrogate. And so a lot of people in our family either didn't have kids yet or they weren't done having their own kids or they were too old. So like, Mm -hmm. because you also couldn't be past 40 at our clinic to be a surrogate. So like Mm -hmm. pretty much we were like, there's no options. So then that's when we met with an agency and basically just kind of got the ball rolling of like, okay, we'll fill out all their forms. We'll have like a backup plan when Mm -hmm. we do the transfer because I don't want to have to do all of that if we get bad news again. And so we had all of that set aside. We just kind of waited to get to the transfer point. We got to the point where I could do another cycle. It took again, six weeks. I was so frustrated, but I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. He again got my lining to like seven or even seven and a half this time. And I was like, this is the best it's ever been in like mm-hmm. years. So I was like very hopeful. We went to all the betas. We got a positive pregnancy test. The numbers were rising so well. They were super strong numbers. Um, they were like, oh, we can do like an ultrasound today because your numbers are past. Like, I think it's when it goes past a thousand on the beta, they can do an ultrasound. And there, there was the sack. Like, it was just so exciting. We're like, this is finally happening. So then I went in, there was like an appointment where I had to go to alone because this was before the pandemic. So like, we were still going together to appointments. Mm -hmm. So I went to one alone and the doctor was like, okay, there, there should be like more in the sack at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. but he said, maybe it's still like a couple days early. So why don't we just come in like on Monday? It was like, Oh my God. And that's the longest weekend of your life having to wait. I was like, this doesn't actually sound very good. Like Mm -hmm. if he's concerned that it already doesn't look good, there's not a timing issue with IVF. I know when I did the transfer. So like, right. It should be there or it's not there. And he's just kind of making me feel good at this point. So then my husband came with me to the appointment the following like couple days later. But yeah, longest weekend ever being like, am I pregnant? Am I not pregnant? So what's going on? So then we went in and God, the doctor, he was so nice, but he was a pretty like just blunt person. Like he didn't really show emotion and he looked like he was going to cry. Oh, and he, he was like, I'm really, really sorry. Like I, I don't, 
he's like, I don't want to say this to you. He's like, but there's, there's nothing there. Um, yeah. And it was the missed miscarriage. And there's another word for that. Um, but blighted yeah. ovum. That, that's it. Yeah. The blighted ovum slash missed miscarriage where yeah. they don't really know what happened. They don't really know. It just yeah. never grew. I had it one just, of those. Like, yeah, it's horrible because then your yeah. body doesn't show any signs that you're having the miscarriage. Right. So you're like totally shocked when you go in and there's nothing there. Right. And so again, we we didn't make it to even a heartbeat. Um, mm-hmm. but like we really thought that it was safer because we'd made it farther than we had the time before that. So I thought like, okay, I'm, you know, seven, I was like six weeks, um, seven weeks. And it was like that was the problem though. It was like when you should see a heartbeat and there was mm-hmm. nothing in there. So mm-hmm. But I, I remember sitting in there and obviously we were so upset, but like in the, like, as we're sitting there hearing the news, my husband and I were like, we need to do surrogacy. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we have the backup plan. We didn't want to have to use the backup plan, but now we got to put it in motion. So I had not yet physically started to have a miscarriage actually. Like it was the myth. If, I mean, you would understand that, but like I hadn't started bleeding or anything yet. Like there, I was still like basically just waiting to have a miscarriage and we submitted the paperwork because it can take like six months or more to match with the surrogate so we're like look we'll put the paperwork in and then while we grieve and heal and figure out what's going on we can know that that's in the process because like we didn't want to wait a couple months to start it because then we would be waiting even longer to match so we were like i just need to have like the plan in motion like Mm -hmm. i need to at least have that go so then this is where like I don't even know if I've ever told this story, um, but I hadn't started bleeding it. And my family, my parents and my sister were going to visit my grandma in New York. And I hadn't seen her for a couple of years. And I was like, I think I need this trip. Like I need to go see her. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to just get my mind off of things while I'm just waiting. Right. And I was terrified that I would start bleeding on the plane. It's like a six hour flight, but it didn't happen. So, um, you know, I had all my pads or whatever, just in case, like I was just terrified, but like, I was like, look, I'm, there's nothing they can do right now. They're going to wait another week or two to see if like they need to put, give me a pill. So like, I just need a distraction. So I went to my grandma's house in New York and I was there with just my parents and my sister. My brother wasn't there with us. Um, he, I don't know why, but, um, but it was just us, which also doesn't really ever happen anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and my grandma. So I was sitting on the couch of my grandma's living room, just alone with her, just talking. And I had never shared with her anything I had gone through. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I just felt like I wanted to. Yeah. And I started sharing with her and she, she had, she had six kids without any issue, but she was like, so kind. And she, I mean, I love my grandma, but like, she was just like, so empathetic and like her response like just made me feel like this relief and then literally at that moment as I'm like emotionally starting to like feel like a weight lifted I started bleeding and it was just crazy because it was like I feel like it just like let let it out oh my god Um, I just got the full body chills yeah and so I like ran to her bathroom because I was like heavily heavily bleeding Mm. um and I had like clots pass and so at this point I thought like that was it like it just happened and I was obviously like so upset (laughs) and this is going to sound like really ridiculous but I was wearing my absolute favorite pair of jeans Mm -hmm. and I thought I can't ever look at these again (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
And I remember my mom was standing outside the bathroom. My sister, like they were super supportive. They're like, what can we do? And I was like, I need a different pair of pants and I need a garbage bag. And my mom was like, and I was like, obviously just bawling my eyes out. Like it was just like everything. <laughs> and, and I was like, my husband's not here. <laughs> like, oh God. You know? Yes. And I was like, like, I, I love my family, but I was like, I wanted my husband in that moment. Like, and, um, but I was really grateful to be surrounded by like people that I'm close with and not be in like a big group of people either. And so my mom's like, do you want me to like try to wash these? I was like, absolutely not. I just don't ever want to look at them again. Like, yeah, it's just the memory is just always going to be with those pants. So no, right. I need to get. So then my mom and my sister took me to the mall and got me new jeans. Oh my God. <laughs> Core like, memory. Let's just take your, yeah. Like let's take your mind off of this and like start fresh. Totally. So then at that point I thought like I was done. Like I thought that the, like I had passed the miscarriage. Like I thought the physical part was over. I was wrong. I, when I got home, the bleeding got so much worse that I was like literally sitting on the toilet for like hours. And I was like, this is not right. And it was later in the day. And luckily my sister was with me so she could stay with my son. But I was like, I need to go to the emergency room. Like something's wrong. Uh And the doc, like the doctor's office was nice because there is like an on-call nurse, but she was like, we're not open till tomorrow morning. So you need to go to the ER Mm -hmm. um, because like you shouldn't be bleeding like this. (laughs) And so basically this is another like, the ER experience is horrible. I went with my sister. My husband was out of town. This is like, he's never out of town. And he was in New York out of town because this was like the following week or something. Or And my mom stayed with my son and I went with my sister to the ER. And it was such a horrible experience. And I think a lot of people have like not great experiences in the ER when they're dealing with a miscarriage or a loss Mm -hmm. because we, I got there, um, the, they were like pretty dismissive. They took my beta levels and they were so high still. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like I'm bleeding a lot. Like shouldn't mm-hmm. they be going down? And they mm-hmm. were still going up. But then I went to have an ultrasound to confirm that there was still nothing in there. And I was like, I don't think that's changed, but to like look to see if the sack was gone. Mm-hmm. And the the person doing the ultrasound was like, oh, she knew why I was in there. And she was like, so just gonna try again. And I was like, this is not really the time for that. Oh my God. And like, I was pretty blunt with her. What is wrong with these people? (laughs) And she was like, oh, you know, it'll just happen when you least expect it. And I was like, not for me, actually. And she was like, oh, well, don't worry. Like once this, like this is almost over and then you can just try again and get pregnant. And I was like, look, I don't get pregnant on my own. Now I'm never going to be pregnant again because we're doing surrogacy. This is not the time. Like I said yeah. this to her because I was like, stop talking. This is not helping. You just need to make small talk and that is not okay. Right. Just be saying And that's things. not the right small talk. Like say you're sorry and that's it. 100%. And then she was like, oh, well, you never know. And I was like, I looked at my, oh my sister God. like, this person is not getting it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so then I stopped talking because I was like, I just don't even want to talk to you anymore. So then we went to go meet with the doctor after the ultrasound. And he was like, well, your miscarriage is over. Confirmed. Like you've already had it. And I was like, but my beta levels are really high. Like I know enough now, like that doesn't really feel right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was like, well, you'll probably bleed a little bit more, but then it's all over. So I was like, okay, I still don't feel like this adds up. So then I still had an appointment with my doctor the next day because I was like, this just is not, I don't think I got any answers <laughs> from the mm-hmm. ER. Um, and so I had stopped bleeding as heavily, but I was still bleeding. And I went into the doctor the next day and he was like, 
you need a DNC like now. Oh my God. And everything's still in there. And I was like, so the ER doctor was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, the ultrasound technician there was wrong. Everyone oh there God. was wrong. And so then the next day I had a DNC because he was like, you're bleeding so heavily. Like they had to test me to make sure that my iron levels weren't too low and that I wasn't becoming anemic. Like, yeah. Um, so I ended up having a kind of not emergency. It wasn't the same day, but like the next day I had a DNC. Mm-hmm. And then I continued to spot for like three months. And I was like, this still doesn't feel right. <laughs> um, and I went in again, like three months after the DNC. And he was like, oh, there's still retained tissue. Oh my God. And then he had to, he was able to remove it like in the in-office hysteroscopy. Um, he like knocked it off the wall is what he said um, of my uterus. Oh, but, wow. Like, but like, luckily I didn't have to have like another full surgery at that point. Um, but yeah. So while all this is happening, we matched with our surrogate in um, three weeks. <laughs> Okay. So it was really quick. And yeah. so we're going through all the paperwork and everything with her while I'm going through all this physical stuff with the miscarriage. Mm-hmm. So then basically in December of 2019 is when the miscarriage was finally over physically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also the same timing that we signed our contract with our surrogate. So I think okay. with that, I again did not allow myself to process the miscarriage emotionally. Sure. Because I was finally done with it. I was finally done with it physically, but then I had this new hope of having a child with our surrogate. Right. So again, I just kind of didn't let myself process. Mm -hmm. Um, So then we, the next, like the next month, um, she did, our doctor mandated like a ERA cycle, like the mock transfer cycle for new surrogate Mm -hmm. um, because she had never done one before just, and so she did need an extra day of progesterone. So we were happy that she had done that. So she did her first transfer in February because her body worked really well and responded to the medication uh-huh. right away. Um, but the first transfer failed. And again, this is something that I think is really hard for people to understand, especially when it has to do with surrogacy. But like, I was equally devastated at that loss. Sure. Yes. Like, even without me carrying the baby, even with all of the physical stuff I had just gone through, this was like, this was supposed to be guaranteed. And I knew right. it wasn't. But like, I thought her body is perfect for right. carrying a child and it still failed. Like what Again, is it's, going on? It's the loss of your future child. Right, right. And like, we still, like this time we really believed we were going to have this baby. And we had, fun- this was like the most hope we had had in years. And it was crushed again. And we're like, okay, how are, like, we might never have the second child mm-hmm. because if this isn't working, what's going to work? So then at that point, we had a conversation with her and our doctors and we're like, we all agreed we would try one more time with her. And if it didn't work, then we would reevaluate what we were going to do. At that point, again, I don't think I really have ever told anyone this, but like besides my family, I started going to another fertility doctor because I wanted another plan, backup plan to see if there was anything we could do with my body if it didn't work with the surrogate. Yes. And I just was so desperate to figure it out. So I feel you. Then it was March of 2020. Her cycle was starting. We were literally, it was the week we were about to start her cycle. I got a call from the doctor's office. We're canceling all the surrogate cycles because of the pandemic shutdown. Mm-hmm. And I said, are you canceling all of the cycles? Like all of the cycles in your whole clinic? And they said, no, just the surrogates. And I said, that's actually discriminatory because if it was my body getting pregnant, you wouldn't be canceling it right now. 
And I'm not a new patient. She's not a new patient. And you need to continue her cycle if you're continuing other women's cycles. And they agreed <laughs> because it was kind of discriminating because I couldn't do it. And they Good were for nice you. Clinic, but I was like, no, 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 no. We are not, we are not stopping right now. Like, right. And I was like, she needs to move on with her life. She's not just going to stick around and wait forever. Right. And so she, and she's very nice. Um, but like, I just thought this, this is not happening. We're not waiting. We don't know how long this is going to go on. This was at the very beginning of shutdowns. Like, thank goodness, because it would have just gone on waiting forever. But so she did the cycle and she got pregnant. And then in December, she had our son. Mm. And so it was like, I was so glad. That oh we my got God. To that transfer cycle. I love all your self-advocacy, <laughs> Alex. It's seriously so impressive and such a good example for people listening that you have to ask for what you want. Nobody's going to advocate right. harder than you are for your own think, self, right? I think, unfortunately, what I learned through like many years of this is that like, you will not get anything you don't ask for. It's true. And, and even when the doctor's telling you that something's not going to happen, they're not always in the right. And sometimes you just have to fight against it and be like, no, no, this is what we're doing. Right. And um, I think as women, we're always like, don't be the squeaky wheel. But guess what? Sometimes right. the squeaky wheel gets the baby. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, exactly. Like, fuck the well, grease. Like, I'm we, talking about the baby. We wouldn't have had, we, and this is where, like, you know, everything in hindsight, but like, we wouldn't have our second son at that timing. Totally. I don't even know how it would have worked out if we hadn't fought for our surrogate to do her cycle then. And then I was trying to induce lactation, which is for anyone not uh, that doesn't know, like, I didn't know what it was. It's where people who are not the birthing parent mm-hmm. can feed their baby breast milk. Mm-hmm. So I was trying it's to induce. So cool. I had a really bad experience with breastfeeding with my first. So I was quite triggered by trying to pump again, which made me realize that I didn't actually want to do it at all. Yeah. And then my husband and I had a conversation and I remember standing in the kitchen, like bawling my eyes out because I had to pump. And he was like, you know, you don't have to do this, right? Like you, we could do formula. Totally. And I was like, oh, we could do formula. <laughs> I was like, somebody just needed to tell me that. Um, yes. And so we decided not, decided like, I, it was not for me to breastfeed yeah. again. It's such a cool um, option that it exists. It is so cool. Um, so but again, cool you know, I can. feel the same as you, like you do what's best for you and your baby, right. no judgment, no right or right. wrong, you know, all and that stuff. I think stuff. for me, I felt pressured from myself, not from anybody else, but like, I felt like I had to breastfeed him because I didn't get to carry him. So I felt like I at least need to have that bonding. Like I at least need to have that way of bonding with him. But then I realized that you can bond with your baby even if you do formula because I bonded with him just fine without doing breastfeeding. And so it was just like figuring out what worked for our family and just taking that added pressure off of us. And so we had him in December of 2020. Um, And at this point, we were like, our family's complete. Let's move on. Like, we're so grateful that we have our two boys. This took forever. Like we and it was so hard. It was the hardest thing we've ever been through together, and just completely because one of the how long things. how long had it been up until that point from start to so we second met baby with, being born? Yeah, so we met with our our doctor in August of 2017 to get started again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now and so you're in been December 2020? December 2020. So it was a little over three years. Okay, like three but your story's ago. not over yet. Nope. <laughs> okay. So, so then yeah. what happened? <laughs> so then, you know, we would think that the story would be over there. But then when my second son was about three and a half months old. So actually, it was crazy. I have never had a regular cycle. I've never had my period on my own ever. 
like even as a child, which was probably a red flag. Again, if you're mm-hmm. like, I didn't know what a red flag was when I was 12, but, mm-hmm. um, but like I had literally never had a normal cycle. So in January, right after my second son was born, I started having very regular periods. And I was like, this is weird, but okay, at least I can predict when it's going to come. So I wasn't on birth control because, hello, like I was so infertile. I was like, this doesn't matter. I started getting periods like every four or five weeks. I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is weird, but this is normal, but okay. Right. And so then in April, like middle of April, I was like, God, my body feels like, I feel like there's something wrong with me again. And it sounds so ridiculous, but I really thought there was something seriously wrong with me. So then I felt like weird. My body didn't feel normal. So I went to, I had made an appointment with a fertility doctor that I had seen the year before, like while our surrogate was being seen. So it was like a new fertility doctor, but she was someone that was super helpful and just really nice. So she made an appointment for me and she was like, okay, let's just take some labs, figure out what's going on. So I think a lot of, at least this was normal for me. Like they, a lot of times will take a pregnancy test just to rule it out, even though you're going, you know, like a lot of the doctors I had been to were like, before we do any like invasive looking, we want to make sure you're not pregnant. And I was Mm -hmm. like, there's no way I'm pregnant, but okay. Right. Um, No way. (laughs) Right. So I had a pregnancy test done like the day or so before I was like the weekend, it was a Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a pregnancy test done and it was like right before I was supposed to go see her on Monday because they wanted to have the results of all like the hormones and all those before I went in to go see her. And I got a call. And again, I will never forget this moment. I was sitting on the couch with my husband. He had just poured us some wine because it was like a Friday night. We're going to have dinner and some wine. Mm -hmm. And I, she was like, Oh, congratulations. You're pregnant. And I was like, um, are you calling the right nurse? (laughs) Right, right, right. The nurse at this clinic is actually my sister-in-law. She, um, which she like works there. So like, it was a family member also calling me. So I was like, are you calling like the right person? Like, you know me, you know my story. And she's like, no, you're pregnant. And she's like, but she's like, the beta is pretty low. It's like 32 or something. She's like, so, you know, we just need to watch it. And I was like, what? I, I was like, so <laughs> I was like, this cannot be real. It's like, wild, Alex. I was like, I have been trying to get pregnant for like almost four years. And then I like, and the thing is, I almost felt like there's no way this is possible. Right. Right. And so then my husband, I just remember he reached over to my wine glass and poured my wine into his wine. Yes. Like, what is happening? So then at this point, we didn't get attached yet because we were like, I mean, we are attached to the idea, but we're like, this might not be real, right? Like it might not be it. I've never had it go past a couple of weeks after that totally. since my first son. So I keep picturing like, like a Morgan Freeman, like voiceover being like, <laughs> but it was real. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it was like. We were like, this can't be that real. Like this can't be real. So then we, um, we were actually at that point like looking for a new house. And so, which just like, so we were looking for a new house and I remember like being with the realtor and getting a call about my second, like my first second beta and like all the numbers were rising really well. But then for me, because I had had a history of loss and because like my hormones kept dropping, like my progesterone kept dropping. Mm-hmm. So I was really grateful to be at the, cause this fertility doctor, like I was so grateful for her. I will literally recommend her to anyone because she had actually seen the year before she was monitoring me. And she saw that my lining actually got thicker with less hormones. 
Mm -hmm. Um, so she was like, I think you've been pushed on too many hormones this whole time. So interesting. Um, and so then I was on no hormones when I got pregnant, but then, um, my, my levels did start dropping significantly to like the point of like loss. And so she was like, we need to really monitor you closely. So she put me on, she called it the kitchen sink. She was like, I'm throwing everything at you. <laughs> right. Like, we're, we're keeping this baby. This baby's staying. So oh my God. She like put me on blood thinners twice a day. She put me on um, like uh, all the progesterone, estrogen shots, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. So to be, and I didn't like the, uh, nobody likes those progesterone and oil shots, but the blood thinners were even worse because you bruise so much mm-hmm. when you're on them. Yeah. Um, but I didn't care. I was like, I'm going to do anything. I don't care. Sure. And then I did like the inner lipid infusions that like, like, that I had never done that before, but you go to like somewhere and you get like a two hour infusion to help. Um, I was literally doing everything I possibly could to keep the baby in there. And then around six weeks before we had heard the heartbeat, um, I started spotting again at like oh. 10 PM and it was the same God. bedroom. We hadn't moved yet. It was the same bathroom. And I was like bawling. Cause I was like, it's happening again. Like mm-hmm. it's, ha- it's over again. So and scary. So I called my doctor's office though, and it was like night and day. Like I called them. She called me back in like five minutes, the actual doctor. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Alex, this doesn't have to be happening again. It can be okay. Oh my I God. open at 6 a.m. tomorrow. You are coming in. I will see you personally. This is not the end. This doesn't have to be the end again. And I was like, wow. I <laughs> love you. Yeah. Like, and so I went in the next day. And I was so terrified. Like we all have that like scare. A lot of people are scared of ultrasounds when you go through this. So it was the first ultrasound because it was after betas. And it was earlier than they were going to do it. But like, because I was spotting, they were very nice and they had me in. And actually it wasn't the first one. We had seen like the, again, like we had seen the sack, but like we hadn't seen the bait, you know, we didn't Mm -hmm. know where we were. But then we couldn't hear anything, but I could see the heartbeat fluttering and I just lost it. So I was like, he's okay. <laughs> like oh my the God. baby's okay. Yeah. And then I was on hormones and stuff till like 14 weeks um, and blood thinners just because making sure that I was absolutely certain everything was okay. I was so scared to come off the hormones. But then like around 10 weeks, we did the blood test and found out we were having a third boy. Oh my um, God. Which I was like 99% sure it was going to be a boy. Um, and everyone kept saying there's a 50, 50 chance. And I'm like, yeah, but our embryos are 80% boys. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a boy. Like we make boys. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then in January of last year, we had our third son and I just, every single day I'm in complete awe that I yes. have three little boys. I know. And, and so what are their ages now? So they're six, two, and one. Uh huh. So after all of that, our they and their birthdays are within four weeks of each other. So my oldest just turned six. My middle just turned two. And actually, my middle one that's um, born via surrogacy was born on my birthday, which was really special. Oh. Um, because that just felt like an extra connection since I didn't get to carry him. Totally. Um, and then my youngest turned one this month. Um, what a couple a weeks story. ago. Story. Yeah. So it's just insane. Like I look at, well, also they were each born in their own special way. Like they each have their own unique stories of how they came into our lives. And I feel like I forever, every single day will be like so grateful and in complete shock that they are mine. Like I just, I can't believe they're mine. So I still feel that way. I still feel that way. Yeah. I think I'm going to feel that way forever. 
For sure. People see that my younger two are one year apart and they're like, oh, you really didn't waste any time. I was like, that's not oh, a Oh, God. Oh, what happened? <laughs> like, or you're like, listen to this in for yeah. life podcast episode and you can hear yeah, all yeah. the shit. Yeah, like, that's not it. Uh, but yeah, so there we go. That's That's how I got my kids. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you have two minutes and you can go rate and review the podcast, that would be amazing. It really helps us get noticed and spread the word. You know, my goal is always to reach and help as many people as possible. Also check out Fertility Rally if you're looking for a safe space and a community. We have the next Fertility Rally live coming up in April. We've got a fertility rally IRL event in Chicago in August. So if you join and become a member, you are invited to all of that. You can actually come to fertility rally live without being a member, but just follow us on Instagram for all the deets and all the cool things that we have coming up. We don't want anyone to feel like they're alone going through this, no matter what you're going through. So we would love to have you be a part of our community and join us. So reach out if you have any questions. Thank you as always for listening. Thanks again to Alex and I'll talk to you guys next time time.